So I think C.S. Lewis was spot on when he wrote the famous words, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. For the next few minutes, I want to talk about how he completes this thought. You may have read this before. It's talking about pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And maybe that's your story. You were going along, minding your own business. You hadn't given a thought about God, maybe in years. And then you got that call, you felt the pain, you got the bad news, you realized life would never be the same. And you found yourself looking up. And then you found yourself face to face with a God you'd never believed in before. Or, or perhaps you were kind of abandoned since childhood and you've been believing ever since. That pain was in fact the megaphone that got your attention. Maybe your story is the opposite of that. Pain in the world or pain that you suffered, personal suffering, caused you to doubt God. It's that thing that caused you to lose faith. Isn't it interesting that people with identical experiences or near identical experiences can come to different conclusions about faith in God when it comes to their experiences with pain? That's what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes. Now, you may be familiar with this name, Admiral Jim Stockdale. Admiral Jim Stockdale ran uh, for vice president back in the 90s, but he was most famous for this. He was a POW during the Vietnam War, where he was actually the vice admiral in the Navy. He was a POW for eight years, and he was tortured 20 times. <clears throat> One of the reasons he was tortured is that he failed to participate or he refused to participate in the North Vietnamese propaganda machine. He even took a razor to his own face to disfigure himself so they wouldn't put him on camera. Years later, after he was out and had accomplished some extraordinary things, Jim Collins interviewed him when he was writing his book, Good to Great. In the interview, Jim Collins asked him a question that I'm sure all of us would ask him. How in the world did you survive eight years in a POW camp? Here's what he said. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. That is such an extraordinary statement. But he continues and he explains, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn to this experience as kind of this defining moment in my life with an experience that I would not trade. That's amazing. Then Jim asked him this question. Well, you made it out. Tell me about the people who didn't. Who didn't make it out? And his answer surprised, surprised everyone. He said, oh, that's easy. The optimist. Jim said, what do you mean the optimist? And here's what he said. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come. Christmas would go. They said, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come. And Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. Those men, those men died of a broken heart. And he turned to Jim Collins and he said, what I'm about to say is so important. It's the lesson to take away from all of this. And here's what he said. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end with which you cannot afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. Now, this statement is sometimes referred to as the Stockdale paradox. And you know what a paradox is. A paradox is a statement that on the surface doesn't seem to make any sense. And then you explore it further, and it actually proves to be true. And the paradox that he's pointing to, to, to never give up hope, but never deceive yourself about your current reality. You never give up hope, but at the same time, you don't refuse to face the things that you don't want to face, the things that would cause you to possibly lose the hope that you're holding on to. You have to hold on to both of them. And the reason I bring this up is that Christianity, our faith, actually comes with a, with a similar paradox, that we have a future hope that is tethered to a brutal fact, to use his term. 
And the problem is, for many Christians, we get so focused on the hope that we, we try to pray away and faith away, obey away the brutal fact that it's packaged with it. So let's begin with that. The brutal fact of Christianity is this. There is a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. We know this on a personal level because all of us have done things that we would consider bad and we've suffered because of it. We've experienced pain that is associated with certain behaviors. If you're a follower of Jesus, we use the word sin. You know you've experienced the personal consequences of personal sin, and we all get that. But the brutal fact, the fact that is so difficult for so many people to kind of wrap their hearts and their minds around is this. There is a global relationship between sin and suffering. This is the part we resist, and the reason we resist it is because it's not fair. It, it takes everything out of our control. But the fact is that when sin entered the world, it held the door for sorrow, death, illness, and despair. They snuck in right behind sin. This is what we talked about last week. When sin entered the world, death came along with it. What's really interesting is when you read the New Testament, Jesus assumed this brutal fact. The message of Jesus was a message of hope that never lost sight of the brutal fact that sin was making its way through the world and would touch every single human being. This was built into the paradigm that he lived with and that he embraced and that he left us with in the Gospels. On one occasion, Jesus is in someone's large home. He's teaching. There's many people there uh, kind of outside listening to him. Some men show up with their friend of theirs who's paralyzed. They want Jesus to heal their friend, but they can't get Jesus in front of their friend. What do they do? They climb to the top of the house. They kind of break open the roof and they lower this man on a cot right at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. To which I'm sure he was thinking, but that's not what I dropped in for. And his friends were like, that's not why we dug open the roof. We didn't bring him here so you can forgive him of his sins. Then why would Jesus say this? Because Jesus is pointing to this fact that there is a relationship between sin and sickness. Not personal sin, but the presence of sin in the world. Now, when Jesus said this, the religious leaders, they immediately went berserk. They were like, wait a minute, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Here he is putting himself in the place of God. And I just imagine at this moment, Jesus smiles. Because that was the point. He smiles and he asks them a question. Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? I mean, anyone can say that, right? Or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Because the two are related. Sin and sickness are related. Not this man's personal sin, but the presence of sin in the world is why this man is paralyzed. And so Jesus responded with this. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to reverse the consequences of the global impact of sin on this world. I want you to know who you're dealing with. But how does he prove that? How do you prove that you have the power to forgive sin and the consequences of it? Well, you have to reverse the consequences of the sin. Not the, again, not the man's personal sin, the sin that impacts all of us, the sin that touches everyone. So he says to the man, get up and go home. And here's the amazing thing. He did and the crowd was in awe. Someone more powerful than the global consequences of sin had arrived. Years later, the Apostle Paul comes along, and he kind of teases the idea out for us. Instead of illustrating it like Jesus did, he explains it. And here's how he explains it. It's from the book of Romans, a letter he wrote to the Christians living in Rome. He said, here's the big idea, Christians. Here's the idea you dare not lose sight of. We have hope tethered to a brutal fact that sin was, has impacted the entire world. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all people sinned. 
Death and its allies marched through the world. You can't pray it away. You can't faith it away. You can't obey it away. This is the brutal fact. And we don't like this. We don't like this because it's not fair. But facts aren't fair. Facts are facts. And this brutal fact is absolutely true. And you've experienced the reality of it. And in some cases, you experience the reality of it every day. We want there to be this kind of one-on-one correlation, don't we? We want good things to happen to good people and bad things to happen to the, you know, the not-so-good people. So they'll become good people. But you're an adult. You've lived long enough to know that that is not how the world works. And here's what you need to know. Jesus taught that's not how the world works. And if you lost faith because somehow sin and suffering didn't line up with your Christian theology, perhaps you had the wrong theology. If you cling to that myth that somehow only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, your faith will eventually kind of be ground into dust. But here's what you need to know. Christians have never believed that God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. In fact, it's just the opposite. Christians believe that the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. Should we resist evil? Yes. Should we fight and try to solve the problems of the world? Yes. Should we try to alleviate pain and suffering in the world? Yes. Will we win the battle now? No. Because that is not our ultimate battle. Does that mean God doesn't care? No. Read the Gospels. We know God cares. But that is not the end of the story. There is hope. And our hope is not in solving the global consequences of sin in our world. Our hope is in the person who came to address the ultimate issue, which isn't sickness and pain. The ultimate issue is sin. And the brutal fact of Christianity is that there is a relationship between sin, sorrow, and ultimately death. The Apostle Paul continues. He says, For if by the trespass or the sin of one man, talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man. Don't don't miss this. The Apostle Paul says, look, I'm not pulling any punches. You live in a world where death reigns. He says, but if sin entered the world through one man and death reigned through that one man, here's the good news. How much more? will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. And and let me explain those terms for a minute. Grace is a reference to the ability to endure. And righteousness is a reference to the fact that our relationship with God is secure. He said, if death reigned through the one man, Adam, who brought sin into the world, how much more will those of us who have the ability to endure and have a relationship with our heavenly father that is secure, how much more then will we reign in, in life? through the one man, Jesus Christ. We reign in life by embracing this paradox that sin will have its way today, but not forever. I'm gonna paraphrase Jesus. He said, he said this, we don't uh, keep our lives by preserving our lives. If that's, if that's how you think you're gonna win, you're never gonna win. We keep our lives by giving our lives away. And the amazing thing is this, Jesus didn't offer himself as the final solution for sin from the comfort of his own home. No, you see, he became one of us to experience exactly what we experience. The gospel writer John begins his gospel with these famous words. The word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. He faced what we faced. He felt what we felt. The apostle Paul comes along and he puts his spin on it. He says it this way, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Jesus never cheated. Jesus never played the God card. Jesus experienced life like we experience it. But he went even further. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Your Savior faced the ultimate consequence of sin, death, but not just any death, the worst kind of death. The author of Hebrews will come along later and give his spin on it. 
For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Or in other words, he's saying, Jesus understands what you're going through right now at this very moment, and he can empathize with you. He continues, we have a high priest who's been tempted in every way just as we are. And then here's the best part. He says, in, in the meantime, here's what you are to do. In the meantime, you're to do exactly what your first century brothers and sisters did as they lived in the conflict of a future hope, but a world that was racked by pain and illness, suffering and death. It's the same thing that I've seen parents do when their children are sick or, or, or when they have to bury a child. It's the same thing I've seen brothers and sisters do when they have to bury a parent too early. It's the same thing I've seen hundreds of people do that face extraordinary suffering or were surprised by grief or loss. Here is the invitation. Here is how you live in kind of that messy, messy middle. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The New Testament authors had their feet firmly planted on the soil of suffering. They understood the world that we live in. And the author of Hebrews says this, when you're going through the suffering and pain, when you realize I'm caught in that kind of messy middle, there is hope, but, but there is a, a brutal fact that I cannot get around. He says, you can, you can come to your heavenly father with confidence. And here's God's promise to you. You will receive mercy and grace. You will receive mercy and grace. You will receive mercy and grace in your time of need. And we live in that tension. We live in that messy middle of a future hope that we can have confidence in. While at the same time, embracing and acknowledging the type of world that we live in. We don't like it, but it's true. When sin entered the world, death was right on its heels. And this is the age and the, of the consequence of sin, where sin would run its course and no one, not even our Savior, would be exempt from that rule. Did God cause it? No. Will God use it? Absolutely. He will use it to, to awaken or to kind of rouse a world to, so that we would look up again and find our hope. It's a wake-up call for anyone who has ears. And one day, the world will, will be the way we know it should be. There will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. But not yet. Not now. C.S. Lewis says it best. He says, if I find myself with a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, that is, if I am able to imagine a better world and there is something in me that longs for that better world, the most probable explanation is that I was made and that you were made for another world. So Admiral Stockdale was exactly right. We must never, ever lose faith in the end of the story. And my friends, this is not the end. This is just the messy, messy middle. And in the messy middle, we can have confidence in God. We can have confidence that God loves us. We can have confidence that God is for us and that God cares for us. Our present sufferings are nothing compared with our future hope. Our present sufferings are just a reminder of the global consequence of sin. They are just another reminder of our need for a savior. Our current circumstances are just another reminder that one day God will make all things new. If I find myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you God, for, for this bit of scripture that is sometimes so challenging, and God, for, for, for some of us, Lord, it may be so hard for us to even wrap our hearts and our minds around, but God, it doesn't mean it's not true. We live in a world that is racked by sin. God, in the effects of sin, which are death and pain and suffering, God, you didn't cause it, but Lord, you use it. I pray that you would use what we're going through. God, our pain, our suffering, our loss, 
that you would use it to get our attention. God, I pray for the world that you would use it to get our attention once again. God, that we would hope for something more, that we would hope for something better, that we would hope for our Savior and we would find him and put our hope and our trust in him. Lord, I pray for everyone who hears this message, God, if they are suffering, if, if their life, God, is racked with that pain, with the effects of this global sin, God, that this morning, that this evening, that this afternoon, they would find you and they would place their hope and their trust in you. God, because your love never fails. I pray that you'd give us the courage to take that step. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Journey Church, I love you. There is nothing you can do about it. I pray you have an awesome week. But if you need help, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, head out to our website. Find that little section that says, how can we help? And let us know how we can help. I would love to talk. I'd love to pray. I'm here for you and I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next time.